you for joining us at Creative Church. We pray that this word blesses your heart and blesses your life. And if it has, I wanna encourage you to feed what's feeding you and give to what's giving to you. The easiest way to do this is to visit creativechurch.com give. Thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity. Be sure to like this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you click on notifications so you never miss an encouraging word from Creative Church. Let's go to work. You know, I've learned in uh, my, my ministerial life to listen at people's prayers are a great way to determine their heart. And, uh, and let me just start off by saying, if you didn't get a chance to, to hear last week's sermon, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. It'll explain the reason these blocks are up here a lot more than I will just today. Uh, but I, how many of you were blessed last week on that sermon? Amen. And so we're, we're in a series, um, Tell the Truth, Shame the Devil. Because we live in a world that says, well, if you, you know, don't speak that truth, when you speak that truth, it makes me ashamed. You know, it kind of it makes, makes me shame or my lifestyle of shame or, or what I believe is shame. We're not here to shame anybody. We're here to put all the shame on the devil, not people. Somebody say amen about that. And not only that, but we're also going to not be ashamed to tell the truth. Amen? Because Jesus is, he said, I am the way, I am the, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. So you're not going to the Father, you're not going to heaven unless you acknowledge the truth. Jesus is the truth. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the wonder of his glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So grace lets people belong, but only truth sets people free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So it's not enough to have a big church where everybody belongs if, they, if they're bound. It's not enough to have a church of, of bound people. We want to have a church where people are free. How many people say, I'm no longer a slave to sin? Amen. Come on, Jesus set me. Come on, that's kind of weak. How many of you say, I'm no longer a slave to sin? Jesus set me free. I'm free from sin. And so prayer reveals the heart, especially if you've ever been around anybody when they're, when they're praying towards the end of their life. It's very important. How many of you ever had a loved one or a grandparent or anybody who has uh, slipped from time into eternity, and you remember the final things they said to you. Anybody ever had anybody like that? You remember final words. They're, they're very important. And for whatever reason, um, at the end of Jesus' life, right before he was incarcerated, right before he was arrested and being led to be crucified, what was on our Savior's heart was unity. What he prayed for was that we as a church would have a heart of unity, that we as a church would be one. Everybody say one. And you, and you listen at the prayers that happen in the word of God. You listen at Solomon. Before he, he, before he died, he prayed God's blessing on his people. Moses, before he died, he prayed a blessing over the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob, before he died, prayed a blessing over Joseph. It's so important. And unity, unity, and not just unity, but forgiveness. Because Jesus also prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Unity and forgiveness were on our Savior's heart, were words coming out of his mouth as he prayed his final prayers and prayed for us. And you know, it's not just unity for the sake of unity, but he said, I pray that they would be united, Father, as you and I are united. 
I pray that they would be united as you and I are united. Now, when our president or certain political figures ask the country to pray to God, you got to realize God is a very generic term. Uh, some people think they're God. Some people think animals are God. Some people think energy is God and things like that. But as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Does anybody else believe that? How many people believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? So it's three distinct personalities, but all God, like an egg. An egg is eggshell, egg white, egg yolk, but it's all egg, right? Uh, same with H2O. It can be water. It can be steam. It can also be ice. Three distinct. People know they're different, right? So the beach is different from Minnesota. It's like all H2O, but it is, it is all water, but it is not the same water, right? So it's all H2O, but three distinct personalities. And what, what Jesus was saying is that I, I pray that they be one like you and I are one. That you and I are different. Like when Jesus was baptized. We see Jesus go under the water as John the Baptist baptized him. We see the Holy Spirit descend as a dove. And we see the Father open up the heavens. And with a voice he declares, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Three distinct personalities, but it's all God. We see the Trinity in that picture. So Jesus is saying, just as you and I are different and one, I pray that even though they are different, that we are not all of the same skin tone, that we are not all of the same ethnicity, that we are not all male, we are not all female, we're not all uh, young, we're not all old, that we are different, but that we would be one. Somebody say that they would be one. And so that's the prayer that Jesus had for the church, that we would be one. And, and what we have to realize is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The enemy wants us to get into a a physical fight when the fight is spiritual. Ephesians 6 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual wickedness or darkness in heavenly places. So anytime the fight has a name, you've moved it from physical, you've moved it from spiritual to physical. Anytime the fight has a skin tone, oh Jesus. You've moved it from spiritual to physical. Anytime the fight has a political party, you've moved it from spiritual to physical. See, Lord, help me, help me describe it. The, the spiritual is, is the cause. The natural is the effect. So, so over and over and over again throughout scripture, we see Jesus who is in the world, but not of this world. And he was aware of the physical, but he was also aware of the spiritual. The spiritual world is more real than the physical world. I know some of y'all don't believe that. But it exists and it is more real than the physical world. Even though you can't see it, it's like gravity. You can't see it. You may not even understand all of the nuances and all of the scientific uh, uh, theory for gravity, but how many people know it exists? It's not a trick question. Come on, Minnesota, the lights are on, I can see you. How many of you people know gravity exists? I just want to know if, like, how far I need to, how simple I need to make this sermon. Are y'all with gravity? Y'all okay with that? Like, you with me? Okay. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to downscale this sermon a little bit. All right, so like gravity exists. So you jump off this stage and gravity will show you whether you believe in it or not. Come on, what's on top is gonna fall. Gravity gets us all at some point. 
right? Gravity's going to kick in, all right? So, so gravity exists, whether you understand it all, whether you can explain it, whether you agree with it, whether you believe in it, it exists. The spiritual world exists. It's real. In fact, you cannot even really be saved if you don't believe in the, in the spiritual world because you have to be saved by faith. Not knowledge. That's why I quit arguing with people about whether God exists and the Holy Spirit and all that kind of stuff. Because you can't be saved by knowledge. You can't be saved by data. You can only be saved by faith. That's what the Bible says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There has to become a revelation in your heart that you believe that God exists. Is that helping you? And it's the same thing over and over throughout the Bible. Like some examples were uh, when Jesus was walking through the uh, the, the town and, and the disciples were there and everybody was touching, trying to touch Jesus. And, and he says, somebody touched me. And somebody said, what you talking about? Somebody touched you. Everybody touching you. People touching us. We touching you. And thousands of people here, everybody touching you. He said, no, somebody touched me because I felt healing and virtue flow out of my body. I felt healing flow out of me spiritually. They were looking at the natural. Jesus was in the natural, but he was dealing with the spiritual. It's the same thing when they came to arrest Jesus and they took him to Pilate. And Pilate said, do you not know that I have the authority to give you your life or take it from you? And Jesus makes a statement, no man takes my life. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I have the power to pick it back up again. And then he went one verse, I wish I could talk about that. Oh my God, I wish I could just let it go. But, but the, he went one verse further and said that the only reason you have authority over me naturally is because my father gave it to you spiritually. That's why you got to stop arguing over politicians and who's in charge of what not. Because the only reason people have authority, oh, God. you you got to believe more in the spiritual world than you do the physical world. The spiritual world is the parental world from which everything in the, the natural world evolves. Everything came from the invisible to the visible. Even you. You came from the invisible to the visible. You existed before you got here. That's why the the word says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Oh, my God. How did he know you? He knew you in eternity past. You existed. You are a spirit. You are not your body. You are a spirit. You are three in one, just like the Trinity. This is all Jonathan, body, soul, and spirit. But it's all Jonathan. My body, my, my soul is my memories, my functions, my personality. That's why animals have souls, but they don't have spirits. Spirits live forever. That's why the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Spirit, animals don't live forever. That's why we eat animals. It would be awkward to get to heaven. You ate a cow, and then you get to heaven, and the cow's there. It's like, well, I didn't know you were going to be here. If I knew you were going to be here, I wouldn't. It's just awkward now. So, so we, have body, soul, and, we have body, soul, and spirit. And so, but your spirit will live for eternity. Praise the Lord. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with, to be present with the Lord. And so we are, we are a spiritual being. We're three in one, made in the likeness image of God. God is three in one. We are three in one. And Jesus was so aware because you got to realize when Jesus came, he came in the most racially charged, segregated um, oppressed time uh, there in history. I mean, it was awful. I mean, the Roman Empire was persecuting the Jewish people. Um, 
They were being persecuted. They were being discriminated against. And what they wanted was they wanted the Messiah, what they believed was the Messiah was going to come back and overthrow the Roman Empire and put them in charge. That's why they were arguing about, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on your left hand? Who's going to sit on your right hand? Remember when one of the moms came and she said, can one of my sons sit on your left and right hand? And he said, woman, you know not what you speak of. Jesus told, Jesus, Jesus. Y'all think Jesus was nice. Jesus was like, woman, what are you, you don't even know what you're talking about. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And they could not get that in their head. The disciples could not get that because they had been persecuted so bad that they were praying, they were hoping that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Roman Empire and put them in charge. And they just could not understand that. You remember when Jesus came or when they came to arrest Jesus and they came with the the soldiers, and they went to arrest Jesus, and Peter pulled his sword, and he started cutting off that dude's ear. He's like, social justice, you know, and he's cutting off that guy's ear, and Jesus is like, what are you doing? I mean, Peter's a fisherman, and now he's got a sword because he was into the social cause. He couldn't get his head around the spiritual part that's why Judas, who betrayed him, he betrayed Jesus because J Jesus wouldn't buy into his social agenda, his political agenda. You ever heard Judas Iscariot? You ever heard that term, Judas Iscariot? Iscariot wasn't his last name. Iscariot was his political party. It was Judas the Democrat, Judas the Independent, Judas the Republican. He wanted to be, his identity was in his political agenda. And Jesus wouldn't buy into it. That's why they crucified Jesus. That's why I put on here, you know, it, what Satan has done is he has taken, he has taken words that are in the Bible and twisted them, manipulated them, hijacked them, and the world says build its truth on compassion, but the Bible says you got to build your foundation on truth. Can I get an amen? amen. On truth. Then the world's going to say, oh, you know, you just need to have love, love, love. We just need to have love. And they've manipulated love. So just because you love something doesn't mean it's godly. I'm married to Pastor Joanne. If I left her and said, oh, I love this other woman, that doesn't mean it's God. If I fell in love with a man today, oh, I'm in love with him. That doesn't mean it's godly. We're not victims to our attractions. So you got to realize, guys, let me let you on a little secret. We are all sexually broken. All of us. All of us are sexually broken, and we have to go to God's word to find out God's best to how to do sexuality, because we cannot be victims to our attractions. Well, I'm attracted to this person. Yeah, well, you're not a victim to that. You have to surrender that attraction to God's word, and God says you need to marry someone of the opposite sex, because that's God's best for your life. No more than I can be attracted to another woman, and, and I can't say, well, I'm attracted to another woman. Well, I'm going to leave Pastor Joanne because I'm attracted to this woman. Why would God give me this attraction to another woman if it wasn't God? I'm not a victim to my attractions. And all of us have to take those attractions and surrender them to God's word. Because we are all broken and we all need Christ. And you're not a victim to your attractions. And so the world wants to take compassion, manipulate, imperfect love. If you don't endorse my lifestyle, you don't endorse my, my sexuality, then they, this is imperfect love because it's rooted in fear. 
That's why they've got every major company in America freaked out to endorse a, a, a sexual lifestyle. Or they're, they're scared the social justice cancel culture mob will come for that company. And that's why they're freaked out. We don't have that. We have justice. When I say, when I'm saying, hey, we don't, as, as, as believe, Bible-believing Christians, we're not practicing social justice because social justice is taking matters into your own hands. I'm saying we need justice. Some people know we need justice in this nation more than ever before. We need justice, but we're not taking matters into our own hands because the problem with social justice is it makes you look at someone else's sin. What social justice does is it makes you look at what someone else did and not your own. But Christ didn't come, Christ didn't come to deal with race. He came to deal with repentance. Jesus didn't come to change your color. He came to change your character. He didn't come to deal with skin. He came to deal with sin. And the world is screaming, race, 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 race. And Jesus preached grace, 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 grace. And the world has hijacked compassion, love. Now it's relativism. Whatever you believe, it's right because you believe it. They don't believe the truth. They don't consult the word of God. They don't look to the word of God. That's why you can't just say, well, I'm a Christian. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, but they're carnal Christians. They're not, they don't, they're not Christians based on the word of God, on truth. And then this ends in war. If you go on this path, you're going to be forever angry, forever mad, forever frustrated. This is perfect love. Because perfect love casts out all all fear. That's why we're not saying, hey, if you're not a Christian, we're going to cancel you. If you don't get saved, you know, we're going we're to come for you. We're going to fire you if you're, not, if, if, you, if you're not a believer. Because the kingdom doesn't work like that. This ends in peace. The truth is, the wages of sin is, but the gift of God on the cross is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've received the mercy of God, which means we have the love of God. We have been reconciled to God. Because anytime you, you, see, we need justice. But once you put a word in front of a word, you change the meaning of it. You move it from spirit to flesh. This is, this is spirit, this is flesh. It's like reconciliation. Reconciliation is reconciliation between you and God. We read it last week in the sermon. Once you put racial in front of it, you move reconciliation from you and God to you and man. You move it from spirit to flesh. And Satan wants you to fight in the flesh. And you remember when they came and Peter pulled that sword and he cut off that guy's ear? And Jesus came and he picked up the ear and he healed it. And then he looked back at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Why did Jesus call him Satan? Because Peter's fighting in the flesh, but Jesus knew this is not a flesh battle. This is a spirit. This is a spiritual battle. And that's why Jesus knew. He said, you're not cutting off this guy's ear. He said, Peter, you are in the flesh, but I know this, this reaction of cutting off this guy's ear. The cause is a spiritual problem. The effect was the natural but I can't fight it in the natural. I've got to rebuke it in the spirit. See, there's a cause of why your kids don't respect you. There's, there's, there's a cause. There's something causing why your marriage is in turmoil. There's something causing why there's havoc in your home. There's something causing why you can't sleep at night and why you don't have the peace in your heart and in your spirit. The effects are over here. 
And many of you are just fighting the effects. But there's a cause. The cause is spiritual. And as a church, what Satan wants us to do is to go down the physical fight. You know, people left our church because I wouldn't get into the physical fights. I wouldn't get into the causes. And I kept it spirit. I kept it about Christ. I kept it about the Holy Ghost. I kept it about God because Christ is the answer. The law will never fix it. You cannot legislate it. The law's not going to fix it. That's why Jesus said the law killeth. There's something behind it. It's like I read the other day, over 40 to 50 million babies are aborted every year. That's 125,000 a day. A day. U.S. Bank Stadium holds 68,000. 125,000 babies are aborted every day. I don't know how you feel, but to me, I just feel like that's not normal. Like there's got to be some kind of, there's got to be a spirit behind that. That, that's just not like a natural, like, well, natural causes and things like that. Like, there's a spirit behind that. And I notice every time I talk about abortion, I'm never up here trying to get some person elected. I'm never trying to get some law passed. I'm not dealing with law. I'm dealing with the heart. I'm talking to moms about the heart. You have a choice. You do not have to abort your baby. Pregnancy is never a sin. However God gets you here, he gets you here. And you have a family, and it's called the family of God. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to fight this in, in the, I'm not trying to fight this in the physical. I'm trying to fight it in the spiritual because there is a spiritual attack. There's a spirit behind that. And you think about, well, America's kind of ungodly right now. Do you know America's run by grandparents? Just look at the Senate or Congress. It's, it's run by grandparents. The, America's run by grandparents. And you, you think about how anti-God America is now, and it's run by grandparents. Wait till, wait till, wait till Gen Z's in there. Wait till millennials are in there. If, 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 if we don't start talking to our families now about Christ, if we don't start getting the word of God and truth down in their hearts, if we don't start teaching them the word of God, that's what the Bible says, write it on their hearts. You see, the enemy is after unity. No outside source destroys a community. The lack of unity destroys a community. That's why the word community is centered on the word unity. Are you looking at the physical or do you look at the spiritual? So you can tell what Satan's after by how you respond to the attack. In any battle, you cannot get the victory if you don't understand the war. It's like people are like, Pastor, pray for me. The devil's after my money. The devil can't spend money. You've never been at the store and Satan's in front of you spending somebody, I got this church member's money. <laughs> Satan can't spend money. He's after your peace. Okay? If he causes you to riot, he's after your peace. If he causes you to worry, he's after your faith. If he sends you into depression, he's after your joy. So you can tell what he's after by how you respond to the attack. That's how you, that's how you fight him. The Bible says resist the enemy 
and he shall flee. How do you resist him? By going in the opposite direction. If he says, sit down, get up. If he says, get up, sit down. If he says, just go wandering, you need to get out of the house and stay at home. If he says, just stay at home and get dressed and get out of the house. If he says, don't worship, be depressed, then come into church and worship all over the place. If he calls you to be stingy, give. Whatever he tells you to do, do the opposite. That's how you resist him, by going in the opposite direction. Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. But one of the things I've learned is that Satan is after our unity. And that's what Jesus prayed. He began to pray about our unity. Our unity. Unity is so important in the body of Christ. And that's what Satan fights more than anything is our, is our unity. Put this verse up for me, Psalms 133. This is what David wrote. And David, you got to realize some things about David. David realized in the Old Testament that without bringing God a lamb or a goat, that if you bring him a sacrifice of praise, he will let you into his presence. See, all of you are in church, but not all of you are in his presence. And honestly, this is the worst place to be if you don't get in his presence. It sucks. Church sucks without the presence of God. Now, God is omnipresent, which means God is everywhere. So how come sometimes we feel him and sometimes we don't? It's because God's presence has the ability to be felt or not be felt by you. And so David realized without bringing God, aren't you glad you didn't have to bring a lamb in here today, strap it to the top of the Honda Civic and drive up in here? Aren't you glad you didn't have to do that? David realized without bringing God a lamb or a goat, if you bring him a sacrifice of praise, he'll let you in. That's why we sing before I preach. If you're like, why do we do that? It's because we're trying to get you into his presence. Because in his presence is fullness of, and the joy of the Lord is our, oh my God. So if, so if pastor's trying to get you enough strength to make it through the week, I gotta get you joy. I gotta get you the joy, because the joy of the Lord is our, and in his presence is fullness of, so we gotta get in his presence. And that's why, if you're going to miss anything, miss the sermon. Don't miss the worship. Because what the worship does is, is it's the opportunity to get in. See, most of you don't, you don't value that. You just value coming and sitting. And you sit in church. But it's not about being in church. It's about being in his presence. It's not about being in the room. It's about being in his presence. And I cannot, I don't have the authority to get you into his presence. Only he lets you into his presence. And so that's why no matter how many people praise God around you, nobody can praise God for you. And you can have two people sitting there, one person tears around on their face, and God's healing them, and God's answering questions, and God's revealing revelation, and the other person's playing with the nails, or looking at Facebook, or dealing with the baby, and whatnot. And they're both in church, but one's in the presence and one isn't. That's why we sing, that's why we do what we do, is to get into a spirit of unity. Because what Satan's after is our unity. Let's look at this first. Put on the screen for me, Psalms 1, 33, verse 1. It says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in, in unity. And then go to the next verse. Well, what does that mean? That doesn't make any sense. He explains it. It is like precious oil poured upon the head, running down the beard, in, above, upon Aaron, down onto the floor. Now, let me explain this to you. Am I, am I, am I helping anybody? Am I boring you? Because if y'all hungry, I'm, I'm down to go get some meat if y'all... All right, so, so let, me, let me back up just a little bit. In the Old Testament, they had this thing called a tabernacle. 
okay? And it had three courts, an outer court, inner court, and a holies of holies, okay? Now, the outer court was lit by the sun. So there was a gate, and the gate, I don't have time to talk about all of it, but the gate represented Christ, so you would come in. That's, that's people who get saved, they come in, but it's all lit by the sun. So when you first get saved, you're saved, but you make decisions based on natural things. For instance, I'm saved, but it's raining. I don't feel like going to church. I ain't going to church. Um, you, don't, you don't care about the verse, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as you see the day of the Lord approaching. That don't mean nothing to you. Okay? Uh, you save, but uh, you want to sleep around. So, so you save, but you want to sleep around. And so the verse, you know, do not awaken love until the appropriate time don't mean none to you. So you, you don't care about that. Okay? So you save, but you're carnal. You're, you're what Paul calls a carnal Christian. Okay, so you're Christian, but you're a carnal Christian. Like a carnivorous animal, like a carnal animal, a carnivorous eating animal eats flesh. You are, you are saved, but you are into the flesh. Your heart is after the things of the flesh. You run after the things of the flesh. You are into the things of this world. You're into the causes of this world. You're into the fights of this world. You're into uh, saving America, and you're into skin tone. And, and, and you're into social justice cause. You're, you, you, you are into that. That's where your heart is. That's why you can defend your social justice cause and preach more on that than you can preach Jesus. You know more data about your social justice cause than you know scripture about why Jesus died and rose. You can't preach Jesus, but you can preach your social justice cause because that's where your heart is. That's what you give yourself to. You give yourself to. So, so you, are, you are a carnal Christian. Okay, you're into the things of this world. Your heart is into the flesh, and you care about the things of this world more than you care about Christ. Sit there, baby. I'm coming for you. <laughs> and so you, you are now, your, your path and the decisions you make are all lit by natural things. Okay, then you go into the, the inner court, and the inner court is not lit by the sun. The inner court is lit by candlesticks that are fed through the anointing oil. And that is symbolic of the word of God. And David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my, unto my path. Same, same, same author, okay? Lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. Now you make decisions based on the word of God. You ain't making decisions based on carnal, on flesh. So you go, man, I don't feel like going to church, but God says I need to be there, so I'm going. I don't feel like tithing. They must be crazy. But God's word says, I don't feel like volunteering. But God's, so now, see, now you're making decisions based on the word of God. I got same-sex attraction, but God's word says I need to marry a woman. So I'm going to submit to God's word. You see? So now you're making decisions on the word of God. And, and, and those, those Christians that don't get in the word of God, they call themselves Christians because they believe Jesus died and rose, but they want to write their own theology because they don't know Bible. That's why I said I'm not just a Christian. We are Bible-believing Christians. We are fundamentalists, meaning we believe the whole Bible. We don't pick out parts that we like or change it to adjust to culture, okay? The Bible is not progressive. The Bible is perfect. If the Bible was progressive, then that would mean that there are things that are wrong that need to be adjusted, okay? The Bible does not need to be improved or updated. It is perfect. God is not progressive. God is perfect. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my... My word shall stand forever. And the things we're going through as a nation are not new. The Corinthian church was, the Corinthian church was a dumpster fire of a church. And Paul started it. 
you had, you had a boy sleeping with his mom in the church. Nobody was getting married. Everybody was whatever they wanted to do. Sexuality and orgies and everything was rampant. And Paul actually said, actually, guys, it would be better if you didn't meet. <laughs> it was the only church that Paul was like, actually, if you guys just didn't get together, it would actually be better because you guys are a dumpster fire of a church. All right? He just got all over them, and he had to bring them into conviction and to the word of God because they, they said they believed in God, but they were carnal. And so you think like the things that we're dealing with in society are new. They're not new. And this has survived. Christianity has survived. Come on, can I get an amen? Christianity will survive without America. But America will not survive without Christianity. God's word is true. And... Unity is so important in the body of Christ. So they had this inner court. So the outer court is lit by the sun. The inner court was lit by the word. And then you would move into the holies of holies. Now the holies of holies was different. The holies of holies was lit by what, what they would call the Shekinah glory of God. Okay? The Shekinah glory of God is not a lamp or the sun. This is the same light. Remember when Moses came off the mountain and they had to wrap his face because he got the Ten Commandments and his face was, was shining so bright they couldn't look at it because they said it looked like the sun? That's the Shekinah glory of God. Heaven is not lit by the sun. Heaven is lit by the Shekinah glory of God. You, you know in Genesis when it said, let there be light, that wasn't the sun. That was the glory of God because he didn't create the sun to the fourth or fifth day. When God said, let there be light, that was God's glory that lit up all of heaven, okay? So now, when you get in there, you don't make decisions even based on natural things. You don't make decisions based on even the word. You're making decisions based on you and God. God is speaking to you and you are speaking to him. Now, God will never say anything that contradicts his word, but now you are in relationship, okay? And this is what, this is what he said. Put that verse, just leave that verse up. Don't take it down. Uh, Psalms 133, put verse two up, verse two. It says it's like oil, it's like precious oil poured upon the head of Aaron. Now, Aaron was a high priest, so only the high priest, I'm almost done, bear with me. Now, only the high priest could go into the holies of holies, and he went in once a year. And if he had any sin in his life, he'd be killed immediately. See, people don't want to talk about God like this. They want, oh, my God, it's just a love, it's just love, 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 God is loving, 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 loving. You know how many times in the Bible says God is love? You know how many times the Bible says God is holy? Over 400. The angels around the throne don't say love, love, love. They say holy, holy. Without holiness, no man shall see holiness. You can't stand before God without holiness. So the priest, they would tie a rope around his ankle and put bells on his ankle. So while he's walking around in there, they could hear him. And if they stopped hearing the bells, they knew he died. And they had the rope and they would pull him out. Now, if I told you, hey, you got to go behind the veil. Come on, look at, if I said, hey, you got to go in to the holies, the holies, you got to go behind. How many people would need a minute? <laughs> Raise your hand if you need a minute. I need a minute. Oh, my God. Y'all pray for me. Everybody come pray for me. See, because you can play save, but there's a difference in your heart. Because when man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the and it took him a year of consecration, a year of privacy. He had to live a life of holiness to make sure his heart was right or he'd be killed instantly. 
right? And he would go in, and then when he went in there, he went into the presence of God, okay? And this is what this verse means. It says, it's unity. Everybody say unity. is like precious oil poured upon Aaron. So he would take himself, he'd take off his mitra and the 12 stones. He would take all that off, which was symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel that the people always be upon the heart of the priest. And he would wrap himself in plain linen garment. Symbolic that the church should be seen in simplicity, believable heroes. And he would, the oil would be poured on him and it would run down his beard onto the linen and onto the floor. And that linen is constructed in such a way that when it's anointed, it does not absorb the oil. Symbolic that not one person in the body of Christ is to absorb all the anointing and say it's mine and nobody else's, but that it'll pass and flow to other people. That's why you can come into a service that there's an anointing and feel it. You could have a bad attitude, but all of a sudden you start to feel the anointing of God and the presence of God, and it changes you because the anointing got on you. So he would go in and be anointed, and he would walk in there anointed, and he could not go into the presence of God without the anointing. And this is what David says. David says the same way the priest could not go into the presence of God without the anointing, the church cannot get in the presence of God without unity. That's why he says unity is like the oil poured on Aaron who went into the presence of God. So if I was Satan and I wanted to destroy the church from having the power, how many of you know we need power? I would destroy your unity. That's why in Acts 2 it says they were all in one accord and in one place and then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Filled the house where they were sitting, appeared upon them cloven tongues like as a fire. They had the power of God. Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And it fell when they were in unity. If I was Satan and I wanted to destroy our youth ministry, I would start making all the leaders frustrated with each other. If I want to destroy the worship team, I would start making all the worship team frustrated with each other. Do you know that almost 50 to 70% of my job every week is trying to make people get along? Do you know how many meetings I get called into because church people can't get along with church people? Do you know how many, do you know how many meetings I get called into over one of y'all's Facebook posts? Do you know, do you know, how, do you know how, how often Satan tries to pull us apart and destroy the presence of God over unity, over physical things and not spiritual things? Can you imagine, it's not just me, it's our whole staff. Can you imagine how much more effective your entire church would be if all of its staff didn't have to get, get into like issues about our lack of unity? But when we came in here, we would be united as the body of Christ. Do you not realize we don't have all things in common? We have one thing in common. And that is we all have the same heavenly father, Jesus. We can't all agree on where we want to have lunch. And what Satan will try to do is destroy our friendships, relationships. And you think it's all, oh, it's my friends. It's all, Satan's trying to destroy my friendships. Satan's trying to destroy, you know, the people that I know. Satan's, Satan's not after any of that. Satan's after destroying the presence of God. The power of God. And it falls when we have unity. That's why Satan's done everything he can to make this the structure that people want to lean into. You see, the problem is everybody on this side thinks they're going to heaven. Everybody. It's like, we're all going to heaven. 
You can believe whatever you want, live however you want, do whatever you want. We are all going. You can, you can be whatever gender. There's 92 now. I'm not making it up. And climbing. Because they don't care that the truth says God created them male and female. They don't care about that. There's 92 and climbing. And they're all going to heaven. Everybody's like, we're all going. Because love, 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 love. Love, 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 love. They've made a God out of love. Love is God, but, I'm sorry, God is love, but love is not God. Just because you love something doesn't mean it's godly. Quit getting into all these fights about, well, well, we need to stop, we need to stop gay marriage. We need to stop, people, let people, people are going to do whatever they want to do. The world is going to be the world. The world's going to be the world, people. But there was a man named David who we've been talking about. And he killed a man for his wife. He killed Uriah so he could have Bathsheba. David was a mess. He killed a man so he could have his wife. He got her pregnant and married her. David ended up marrying Bathsheba. But from that moment on, God never, all throughout scripture, God never refers to Bathsheba as David's wife. He always refers to her as Uriah's wife. You know what that teaches you? That you can do something that you may recognize. You can have a marriage that you recognize on earth, but it does not mean God will recognize it in heaven. You cannot pass enough legislation to make God recognize things that he refuses to recognize. And my marriage to Pastor Joanne is more important to me that God recognizes it than the state of Minnesota. Everybody over here says, we're all going to heaven. We can live however we want. We can be a man today, a woman tomorrow. We can be whatever we want. Your kids can be whatever we want. No, no structure. The lie, even the lie of equality has been a lie. Something that, that is kingdom, that's a kingdom value that's been warped and hijacked. It's all been warped and hijacked. See, we're all of equal value, but we're not all of equal responsibility. It started in heaven where Satan says, I don't need to be under God. I will be like God, equal to God. Next thing you know, he fell. Tells, tells Eve the same life. You eat of this tree, you will be like God. She falls. Adam partakes of the tree, also falls. But notice that. They both ate of it. But when God came, he didn't talk to Eve. He went to Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? Well, the woman. I'm not dealing with the woman. I'm dealing with you. Why did God not go to Eve? Because even though they are both of equal value, they were not of equal responsibility. The responsibility fell to him. He was the leader of the home. He was the leader of that marriage. That's why God didn't talk to Eve. God talked to Adam. Oh, it's quiet. Where are you? The woman. We're equal. You see, we are, Pastor Joanne is equal to me in value, but, but not in responsibility. Not in spiritual authority. 
something goes wrong in our home, you know who God's going to deal with? Adam, where are you? What was the woman? The woman that thou gavest to be with me. I wouldn't be in this mess, but you're the one, you're the one who gave it to me. No, no, no. Where are you? Where are you? What's going on with you? And this is the whole lie. Kids don't have to be under parents. No one's submitted to anybody. Even though the father and the son were equal, Jesus said he thought it not robbery to consider himself equal with God. But he submitted himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Everyone over here thinks they're going to heaven. The reality is everyone over here knows they're going to hell if they don't get saved. We are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. The wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we are all, we realize that God doesn't send anybody to hell. We're all going. You're born going to hell if you don't get saved. That's what you're saved from. What are you saved from? Saved from going to hell. I have the gift of eternal life because the wages of sin is death. That's the truth. But the gift of God, the cross, was the justice of God. Somebody say amen. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid the debt that we owed. That's the mercy of God so we can live in a righteousness that we could not afford. And now we have perfect love because perfect love casts out all. Now we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. This is a lie. This is going to make you constantly frustrated, constantly angry, constantly focused on other people's sin, and Jesus is going to come back, and you're going to miss the rapture because you weren't focused on what you did. The first question God ever asked man was, where are you? The question I want to ask you before we pray is, where are you? Not where are they. Where are you? How many of you have parents? I mean, how many, how, many, how many of you are parents? Let me ask it this way. How many of you are parents? And you have kids and you come home and things are a mess and they want to blame. Why is this a mess? Well, they didn't. What did you do? Well, they never. What did you? Where were you? This is what God is saying to all of us. Where are you? Don't let the enemy pull you into every physical fight, every physical battle. Keep your heart focused on Christ, church. Let us be a church of unity. Let us be a church that flows in the spirit. Come on, guys. Let's be a church that flows in the spirit. And I'm going to tell you right now, if this is the model you want to go, you're going to hate this place. You're going to hate this place. Because we're not going there. We're going to keep it focused on Christ. We're going to keep it focused on Jesus. We're going to be focused on the spirit of unity. We are not going to get into the physical fight. We're going to get into the spiritual fight. I'm not saying somebody else shouldn't pick it up. I'm not saying that, they shouldn't, that it shouldn't happen. I'm saying this house. God said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. This is a, this is a sanctuary. The purpose of a sanctuary, let me say this and we'll go. The purpose of a sanctuary is to be, is to, is to be, is to be a cup of cold water. It's to be different from out there. How many of you know you live in the city and then they go, oh, here's a, this, is a, this is a bird sanctuary. or this is, It's an untouched place. You understand what I'm saying? It's kind of like when people want the church to get involved in everything like that, it's like a tornado's coming, like a big storm, and we go out there into the community and we say, everybody, come in here, come in here. Come on, hurry, come in here. Get in here quick. And then they come in here, ain't no roof. 
they say, why are you telling me coming here ain't no different here than out there? If this is not going to be any different from the world, why come in here? If we're going to bring the same hell and fight and flesh that's in the world in here, why come here? What makes this different is this is about spirit. It's not about the flesh. That's why Galatians says, once you are saved, you are no longer Jew, nor Greek, nor Gentile, nor male, nor female, nor bond, nor free. Come on, that we are all sons and daughters in Christ. That we are one in Christ. That the spirit of truth, everybody say the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I do not speak out of my own authority, but whatever the Father says. The Holy Spirit said, I don't speak out of my authority, but whatever Jesus says. What authority do you speak out of? YouTube? Google. Google's your authority. If you're mad at me today, you're mad at me because you listen to someone else's authority. You believe someone else's authority more than you believe the Word of God. You believe Wikipedia authority, Instagram authority, TikTok authority, CNN, Don Lemon authority, Sean Hannity, Fox News authority. And some of you have become, you've let these voices be your authority rather than the Word of God. And that's why your faith is struggling because you have no faith for Scripture you don't know. Your authority should be the Word of God. Hide it in your heart, guys. Put it in your heart. It's truth. It'll be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. You're 25, you're 35, you're 50. How many scriptures do you know? If I gave you a sheet of paper, piece of paper right now and I said, write down how many verses do you know? Five, eight, three, 10, 20, 30, 80. At this rate, where are you going to be at 50? Where are you going to be at 60? Where are you going to be at 70? That's how you grow your faith. You cannot pray for more faith. Faith cometh by and hearing by the... The only way to grow your faith is to know more word. That's why you're struggling, you're wrestling, because you're being indoctrinated by the causes of this world more than you are the cause of Christ. And do not be ashamed to tell the truth in love. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. Did you get something out of this today? Come on, give God a big praise. Hey, everybody. I just want to take a moment. I'm here with Liliana. She prayed for me today. And I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in here at Creative Church. I want to encourage you, like always, to subscribe, ring the bell for notifications. But, you know, we just pray that this sermon blesses your life. It's our prayer that we have unity in the body of Christ. Nothing blesses the Lord more when his people come together. Brothers and sisters come together in a spirit of unity. How powerful was it? That one of the last things Jesus ever prayed was that we would be one. And remember, we don't have all things in common, but we have one thing in common, and that is Jesus. Right, Liliana? We love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next Sunday.